Chapter Twenty Four of Judge Burnham's Daughters. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Judge Burnham's Daughters by Pansy. Chapter Twenty Four. Next Most. Among the flowers that were strewn in profusion all about the casket where Seraph rested was a simple spray of tube roses, lying somewhat by itself and as close as possible to the face of that beautiful sleeper. It filled the room with that rare fragrance that belongs only to the tube rose. Mr. Satterley, who had been in the room alone for nearly an hour, taking that long last look which almost rends the human heart in sunder, taking it with the consciousness that dust and darkness and decay are now to claim this treasure for its own, had turned away at last, and then turned back, and, lifting the spray of roses, had taken a single perfect bloom from its stem, and placed it within the velvet folds of a tiny case that held Seraph's pictured face, then returned it to his breast pocket, and replaced the spray, so that it almost touched the fair marble cheek. Ruth, who had been about to enter the room, drawing suddenly back when she saw its occupant, had been a witness to this last act. A pitiful smile hovered about her mouth for a moment. The spray of tube-roses had a history which Mr. Satterley did not know. Did she, whose unconscious clay lay before him, know the story? In the world to which she had gone, did they know of all these little tender, pitiful things that are constantly happening here? Barely two hours before had Mrs. Burnham herself opened the piazza door in answer to the timid knock of a trembling hand, and had come face to face with Estelle Hollister. The girl's eyes were swollen with recent weeping, and there were heavy dark rings under them, which told of long night vigils and tears. "'May I look at her?' she had asked eagerly. "'And may I lay the spray of flowers beside her?' I know she loved tube-roses. I have seen her wear them often. Oh, Mrs. Burnham, I am so sorry for you all, and so sorry for, for him. And Ruth, for the moment unable to speak, knowing no words, indeed, which would fit the pitiful strangeness of the moment, inclined her head in silence toward the closed door, with its significant badge of crape, and left the two alone together and this was the spray of flowers from which Mr. Satterley had picked one bloom to wear close to his heart. They had planned very carefully for the funeral hour. Mr. Satterley had been reminded that Minta would be dependent on him for care, but nothing took place as it was planned. Minta, after that last stormy scene with her father, refused to stay another hour in the house, refused to be present at the funeral services next day, but went in haste and in anger to the husband for whose sake she had left them all, and Judge Burnham was held all the dreadful morning in the grasp of a relentless pain, a peculiar form of nervous headache, of which he was sometimes a victim, and against which he had struggled all the previous night, increased upon him to such an alarming degree that when the hour for the public service arrived, he was under the influence of a powerful opiate, and therefore mercifully unconscious alike of body and mental pain. So it came to pass that the stepmother attended by Mr. Satterley were the only recognized mourners who followed Sarah Burnham out from her father's house. It seemed a strange house to Ruth to live in after that. She wandered through the deserted, silent rooms, throwing them open to light and air, 
caring for the many dainty and delicate things left behind, with painstaking fingers that almost quivered with a sense of dread. How was it that she, who had for years felt no responsibility, and but little interest in this part of the house, had come to be the sole caretaker here? How swift and terrible had been the changes which had left her free and lonely in her own house! No danger now of being disturbed day or night by inopportune outbursts of merriment, or the sound of gay young feet. The house was still, very still. Its mistress folded and wrapped and marked and laid away package after package of pretty trifles that had belonged exclusively to Seraph, and while she worked there fell many a tear born of that most sorrowful of all sorrowful memories, what might have been. She had been so very late in finding out what she and Seraph might have enjoyed together. She had so utterly failed in regard to Minta, and although she reminded herself that the two were, and always had been, very unlike, yet in the light of her recent revelations, she could not but feel that possibly, had she managed all things differently, all results might have been different. Those were lonely days, the ones which followed. She could not settle to anything. Indeed, she could not find anything satisfactory on which to settle. Society did not claim her, of course. There were endless proprieties connected with it to be observed, but it released her from personal inflictions in many ways. Still, she did not find it by any means so pleasant to be alone as she had once supposed it would be. She was very much alone. Judge Burnham absorbed himself in business even more than was usual, and when at home was gloomy to an almost alarming extent. Indeed, if I should call him morose, it would perhaps be the more fitting word. That he was a rebel against all the recent family trials was only too apparent. Minta he did not mention at all. Whether he knew anything about her or her circumstances, Ruth could not determine, for it did not seem to her wise to break the ominous silence in which he chose to wrap himself. His mention of Seraph was always in the way of bitter regret. Had she been sent from home at once, when she first began to cough, all might have been well. Had there been somebody besides a deceiving idiot for a doctor, they might have known in time what was feared and prevented it. Had Seraph been properly guarded from exposure, she need never have taken such an alarming cold. He did not know, of course. How could men be expected to keep guard over these things? It was the woman's place. Girls were careless, of course. They always were. It was mothers who watched. If, and it was about at such a point that he usually had the grace to stop. Ruth often wondered whether, had he continued, he would have said, if the girls had only had a mother. But she was very pitiful toward him. She had some realization of what it must be for a father to lose, thus suddenly and thus painfully, the hold which he thought he had on two who were his own. As often as she looked at Erskine, she shuddered over the possibilities which the future might hold in shadow waiting for her. Then, too, she realized that the bright side to these heavy clouds her husband did not see at all. It seemed an infinite pity that he could not, at least at times, absorb himself as she could, in the wonder of the thought that Seraph Burnham was to-day singing among the angels. She had been gone only a few weeks, 
yet how much she must already know about those things of which her father was totally ignorant, and concerning which Ruth herself could only vaguely conjecture. Yet the conjecturings grew daily more interesting to her, and in the leisure which had come upon her, she found herself reading and studying much about the possibilities of that other world, which, because of the experiences in Seraph's room, had come near to her. She collated in logical order all the words which the Bible has to offer in regard to it, and was, as many other Christian has been, delighted to find that the grand old book told so much, and amazed to think that she had not, long ago, learned all it could tell on such an absorbing subject. As the weeks passed, and she still remained in uncertainty as to how to use her leisure, this method of exhaustive Bible study grew into a fixed habit. Day after day she was occupied in familiarizing herself with proof-texts in regard to this or that doctrine or duty, and in so arranging and illuminating them with incident or story that Erskine would be interested and helped. If he had but known it, these were growing days for Erskine. He delighted in being with his mother, in her having, once more, abundant leisure for his needs, and it mattered very little to him how she planned to have the leisure occupied, so long as he could share it with her. So the golden head and the mature one were often and often bent over the large and elegantly illustrated family Bible, and the two drank in wisdom together. Erskine will never be puzzled as to the right or wrong of many questions which have disturbed me, Ruth said to herself with infinite satisfaction. He will have a clearly defined, thus saith the Lord, to settle them for him. Meantime, the ladies of the temperance union were watching Mrs. Burnham with no little anxiety. The brilliant career which they had marked out for her, and which had been so signally commenced, had been arrested, you will remember, almost immediately thereafter. The ladies thought that her public work had been held in check only by the series of providential circumstances which had followed each other in her home. But Ruth knew, even as you and I do, that had not these startling experiences come into her life, her career, so far at least as regarded the public meetings, would doubtless have suddenly closed. It was one of the questions which perplexed her now, how far she was justified in letting her husband's prejudices hold her back from work which she knew she would enjoy, and in which the Lord had given her a signal token of his approval. She held the ladies at bay, and held her own decision in the background, while she tried to study with unprejudiced mind the entire subject. The ladies were very hard to answer. They were importunate. My dear Mrs. Burnham, why will you not come next Sunday and help us? You cannot think how we have missed you. There are so very few of us, you know, to bear burdens of this sort. There are plenty who are willing to give money and time, to carry around petitions, to distribute literature, and to serve on social committees. But when it comes to speaking a few words to the poor fellows about their souls, or even to leading in prayer, the only answer we can be sure of is, I pray thee have me excused. I don't understand why it is, would Mrs. Stuart Bacon conclude with a weary sigh, and then, after a moment, return to the charge. And, dear Mrs. Burnham, since that first Sabbath when you helped us so grandly, 
we have been depending on you. Of course we did not expect you while family cares and afflictions were resting so heavily on you, but now that the Lord has taken those duties out of your hands, it was very hard for Mrs. Burnham, in the face of such appeals, to make answer to the effect that Erskine needed her, or that Judge Burnham, who was nearly always at home on Sabbath afternoons, would be lonely if she should leave him for an hour. She knew such words must sound painfully trivial to women at work among souls who were in immediate and desperate need. The very fact that she was giving reasons which were not, after all, the real ones, made this truthful woman wince and stammer, and feel and appear ill at ease, and the ladies went away pained and puzzled, and the weeks went on, and the summer waned, and another autumn was nearly upon them, without there having been any definite settlement in this Christian woman's mind as to what work she would do for her king. Not that she was idle, it had been to her a summer of study, Certainly she was furnishing her brain for some encounter with error, and because of her connection with, and interest in, the Woman's Christian Temperance Union, her studies had almost without plan on her part developed in that direction. She had gone into the hall on that Sabbath afternoon with no very clear idea as to what she thought in regard to the political, or indeed any other working aspect of the temperance question. Had she been asked that day what she thought of high license, or of no license at all, or whether she believed prohibition would prohibit, or whether she thought constitutional prohibition was feasible, she would only have replied in vague general ways that she never wanted her boy to touch, or taste, or handle alcohol in any form, and that if we were really to love our neighbors as ourselves, she was in duty bound to make that same stand for other boys. Thus much she knew, even in her ignorance. But on that September afternoon, as she sat with the evening paper in her hand, and her fine face aglow with a feeling very like contempt for the astute member of Congress who had written a remarkable article on the folly of the proposed temperance movement, she said aloud, speaking, Erskine thought, to him, since he was the only other occupant of the room, What utter illogical, nauseating nonsense! I'd like to reply to that man. What has he said, Mamma? Why, some false and silly things against the temperance movement, and against the temperance workers, Erskine. They are so silly that they could be very easily answered by one who was thoroughly posted as to facts, and yet they have such a semblance of truth that they will help to lead astray many who have not studied facts. She was not trying to make the little boy understand, she was simply thinking aloud, as she so often did during these months of comparative solitude. But the boy, being so constantly with his mother, and sharing in a degree all her studies and all her interests, had come to understand much better than even this mother knew. What suggested to his wise little heart the next remark? Mama, how do you know but God wants you to stand up in a big church or somewhere, and explain all about it to people who have not studied facts. The rich blood glowed over the mother's face in an instant. Was the thought somewhat like a revelation to her heart? Did God want her to do anything like this? But what would Judge Burnham say to work of such a character, even in its meekest developments? Don't you think he may want you to do it, Mama? 
Do you think ladies ought to do such work, Erskine? She did not know why she said it. She laughed at herself for her folly, even while she spoke. What should the baby know about such questions? Why not, Mamma? if God wanted them to? Wouldn't a true lady do anything for God? Certainly this was high ground. Could she, with all her added years and wisdom, hope to reach higher? Nay, was she really prepared to reach so high? She went back instantly to the old painful query, what would her husband say? I'll tell you what God wants, she said, speaking with sudden fervor. He wants, and I want, more than anything else in this world, to have Papa give himself to Christ. If we could only have that, Erskine. Why, yes, said Erskine, speaking with slow gravity, apparently surprised at her sudden fervor. I know that, and I speak to God about it all the time, and he knows we want it most. But then he wants us to think about the next most, too, doesn't he? And from that hour Ruth tried, with a new energy, to come to a decision as to what her next most ought to be. End of chapter 24 Recording by Tricia G.